0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Calling All Useful Idiots, where we uh, talk about the news and, and um, of course, please do subscribe to us at uh, Substack at usefulidiots.substack.com. If you prefer uh, locals, you can subscribe to us there at uh, usefulidiots.locals.com. That's where you get exclusive material. You get our Thursday Throwdowns, which are our midweek dose of media madness, and you get extended interviews. Also, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts, and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube by hitting subscribe and then the bell. And subscribe to us if you prefer Rumble; you can subscribe there. So we already got uh, well, we got a bunch of listeners. Uh, Aaron, how you doing?
1: Uh, I'm great. Another great episode of Monday morning. Yep. Um, which is always great to be done with because we don't have to listen to those awful Sunday pundits anymore. Right. Uh, but it's it's the same time. It's I enjoy it. It's a fun. It's a it's a fun time to make fun yeah. of those people. It's it's yeah. it's fun.
2: You you get to
0: laugh instead of cry.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: And everyone,
1: tweet this out. Tweet this out. Yeah. Yes. Well. Um. And after tweeting it out. Jump into the call queue yeah, because uh, we we can't do the show without callers. So right. let's let's hear from Amanda. You're up first.
3: Great. Good Monday morning to you. So I'm I'm here because Andrew didn't didn't click faster than me. Um, I I mostly just want to say I really appreciate your show. Sometimes it's I don't find it as useful, but I love that it's always on time and here, and it reminds me of the other shows that both of you have, which I really like. So even when it's not that great of an episode day, I go, oh yeah, Katie and Erin are in the world. Thank goodness. Because you were on fire this morning, I will say. Both of you hit some really good ones.
0: Great. Well... You know, a little damning us with faint praise, uh, but I, I'll accept it. Oh, I
3: would never, da- I would never, I would never nah, damn you. It. I would, I would give more effusive phase if it was not Monday morning. Got it. I not, not the show. Not the show like, Monday morning, but if it were a- right, correct, yeah. correct. 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 Because the yeah. mon- the show Monday morning, I mean, mwah.
0: Thank you. Jeff's, Jeff's kiss. kiss.
3: Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank you Amanda. I'll thank let these you. other folks come on in All right. and they might have an actual question. But well, I do you. genuinely no, you're, appreciate You're it. a
0: brave patriot because and a trendsetter because look what happened. Once you got on, you've empowered others to join the queue. Look
3: <laughs> yes. at that.
0: You've got a bunch of people. All right, thanks, Amanda. Thanks. You guys have a good week. You too. Andrew. Hi, Andrew.
4: Hello, Katie. Hello, Aaron. Thank you to Amanda for empowering me. Um uh, I just wondered if either of you had heard of a, a French historian, Emmanuel Todd, and his, uh, I guess, his extension of John Mearsheimer's kind of hypothesis about the war, if either of you are familiar with that. No, I I'm not. I,
1: okay. I did hear he said that we're in the midst of World War III. That, that was his big thing, right? Yeah, could I really quickly explain sure, his go
4: perspective? For it. Go for it. Well, you're familiar with the Mearsheimer perspective, right? I don't need to rehash that. Basically, the core being that this is existential for Russia and not for the United States, right? And uh, i
0: happy to wreck, wreck Ukraine. He always likes to use that word. you want to know who
1: else said that was Barack Obama? There's um, <laughs> a lot of people. Barack Obama also said that, you know, uh, Crimea and Donbass are not existential for the U.S. And if somebody in this town thinks we should fight Russia over who rules Eastern Ukraine, they should say it. He uh, he said that on his way out of office in 2016. And um, he was alone in that view because everybody else in his cabinet, as we can see now from what they're doing in Ukraine, actually does want to fight Russia over Eastern Crimea. So Obama actually shares the Mearsheimer thesis.
4: You know, a lot of people in history have a lot of very serious people. And you can find it in policy papers and documents all throughout history talking about how serious Russia is about Ukraine or the Soviet Union at the time about Ukraine. Um, And it's a good point about Obama that I don't understand why left people don't bring up more, that all these people love Biden. And it's like handed down uh, all the love of him is like a lot of it is handed down from their love of Obama and the fact that he was his vice president and no one in the media is, you know, asking Obama about this. He's been very silent about the war. And I think that's a big point to bring up as well. You know, well, if you supported Obama, why, why change the policy now? And why, why do you support Biden in, in this policy? Anyway, that's kind of a side point. But the, uh, the Emmanuel Todd hypothesis is basically that there is at least some faction in the U S and I guess he's kind of arguing that it's the dominant faction that does believe this is existential for the United States in the sense that, um, it's it's a threat to our global hegemony and that if we don't defeat Russia severely, it shows how weak we are essentially and that you know it's kind of a neoconish perspective, but I you know, I, I just wonder your perspective on do you think there's a faction in the administration that actually does view this as existential? Because I know there's a lot of cynicism about kind of like the adults are in the room and we're just bleeding Russia and yes, it's horrible, but we're not really you know gambling with everyone's lives. Sorry. I keep getting calls. Sorry about that. Um, um
1: Yeah, I uh I, I do think there are neocons inside the White House. I think that Blinken, Sullivan and Newland represent that. And I do think they think in their minds that this is existential, that we need to, you know, bleed Russia and may and, and, and regime change Russia. And they're not willing to back down. Um but I don't think the thing is, I don't think they actually want to fight Russia directly. Um, yeah, you know, you know, you know. That, said, I think some of them do. I think actually some of them do want to fight Russia directly, but not all of them. Um, and I think that's where they, some people draw the line. Is they they're happy to keep this war going as long as the weapons are being used inside of uh, Ukraine, uh, and it's just Ukraines who are bleeding for it. Uh, they don't want to expand it further, and they're willing, but they are willing to risk. But they're willing to, like, you know, tempt fate. Like, they're willing to risk the possibility of a wider conflict, conflagration uh, right. because they want to pursue the goal of winning Russia. Yeah, they hate Russia. I mean, what, why else are they so involved in Ukraine? Like, why, is, why does Biden care so much about Ukraine? Like he, like that was that's a great question. When he was vice president and Victoria Nuland, why, why was she over there picking who the next leader would be? I mean, because they see how existential Ukraine is to Russia. And that's why they're so focused on it, because they can use that to their advantage. So these people that don't want to send American troops,
4: why do you think that is? I know I'm asking you to mind read here, but one of the big propagandistic points that really helps the warmongers right now is that Americans aren't dying. And if they figure out or if they come to the conclusion that they could somehow get away with Americans dying and not losing the propaganda war and having all Americans instantly turn on this, do you think that's? consideration or do you think actual you know logical survival of the species and i mean it's so unthinkable to me that any of these people could really want a direct war with russia but i think as ukraine continues to lose it's going to be the only option if they really want if if there are people that are really dedicated to seeing russia lose and be punished i think that's what it's going to take and there's people around the you know europe that are kind of saying this right now that like it's going to take nato intervention to stop russia i think finland Someone in Finland said something, Estonian, one of these crazy people. But I don't know if Americans really – the people like Blinken and Newland if they possibly think that we could fight a war with Russia directly or if they're just avoiding that because it's a PR thing. And as long as Americans aren't dying, unfortunately, it seems many Americans are fine with the current policy because it just doesn't affect their lives. Yeah, I
1: mean that's why a proxy war works so well from – the point of view of proxy wars is, uh, you know, as Oliver North put it, he said, uh, their blood are bullets. Um, so it works great for them. And I, I think they want to keep that going as long as they can. And and they recognize, I think, that if they have to send U.S. troops, that would be a different story. That
4: makes me feel a little better then because a little yeah. better. But yeah. All right. Thanks for your time.
1: Thank you.
0: That is a good question, though, how much you think that they're – what damage they are requiring uh, Russia to go through before they would consider stopping. What do you think, Aaron?
1: Uh, I think uh, the point about just up to sending U.S. troops is is a good measure. I I think they're happy to do any other kinds of damage. I mean, like, remember, I've written about this. There was this line in the Washington Post. Where uh, from like, uh, I think it was June, tw- June of last year, where they say something like the Biden administration is willing to countenance uh, global recession and mounting hunger right. <laughs> if it means, you know, handing Russia a defeat. So they knew that the war was hurting the global south because of the sanctions that cut off Russian exports and um, and and the problem. And because, you know, Ukrainian grain wasn't being exported uh and, uh but the, the Biden administration was willing to tolerate that countenance right. in the words of the post because while uh, bleeding russia was more important than people dying of hunger around right the world. okay Brady
5: what's up dudes on a serious point, I think that the media's biggest failure is a lack of triage they seem to be focused on uh, like just the, the, the worst things while there's like this cornucopia of amazing interesting things we could be exploring in this universe you know we're like focused on weather balloons or fill in the blank whatever I think that's the biggest mistake they make I think the best media moments are when someone like me calls into like NPR and throws a wrench in their whole show that they had planned <laughs> With like, you know when someone like Uh, calls in C-SPAN or Fox News. I love it when, like, a random civilian just goes in and kind of throws a wrench in the media's kind of narrative. Like, Russell Brand, I think, does a great job of that when he was on Morning Joe and whatnot. And I dropped a link to Jane Corbett's uh, Fake News Awards, the sixth annual Fake News Awards. Every year he does a Fake News Award uh, show. It's pretty cool and highly recommended.
1: Okay. Thanks, Brady. Uh, D, go ahead. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, the,
6: the most I think the most depressing thing um about the Ukraine thing is that is how how uh, political it is in terms of I think this is I think whoever, regardless of who the next president is, I think um, people are going to keep on um, the supporting Ukraine because. People online forget this, but the American public overwhelmingly supports Ukraine by poll data. Even Republicans, like if you ask Republicans how they think of Zelensky versus how they think of Putin, Zelensky has like a 70-20 split. Um, so I think we're kind of going. We're kind of going to keep on this course. Um, the question I I wanted to ask you, Aaron, is I saw you comment that um, Owen Jones and Mehdi Hassan have crafted out their niche as lefties who are ultimately um, do boys for us, the establishment. What, what what did you mean by that critique? Cause, Cause it's a critique I disagree with, but it's something I'd like to
1: hear what you mean by uh, it's these lefties who get perches in establishment media outlets. Owen Jones of the guardian. he's often, I think on, on British television, Mehdi Hassan uh, sure. MSNBC. And I think, they're lefties on some issues but on the real red lines where the establishment has said like you know you can't go here they tow the line and they punch left so on the ukraine proxy war they are tear leaders to the ukraine proxy war um on things like Gate, and you know jeremy in the case of owen jones with jeremy corbyn he totally played into the whole anti-semitism scam that was used to undermine corbyn and so there's, anytime there's real courage and integrity required the, 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 uh, the approved lefty pundits in the establishment media always cave. and always punch left. And look, there's a – I mean, I, like you can look it up. There's a letter that Medi has, that Medi sent to a British – a right-wing British uh, newspaper or magazine a few years ago where he's asking them for, like, to be a columnist. And he says, like, I will, I will criticize the left from the left. And he basically vows to, like, punch left. <laughs> to get a job so yeah. i think that, and i just think that's that's how i've always experienced him um one time hold on a second one time i was on his al jazeera show uh and uh it, this was after the Mueller report and uh the other guest was david k johnson who said something he said some bullshit about RussiaGate, gate some like one of these bullshit talking points to try to Advanced the notion that there was a conspiracy, and so I rebutted him and I pointed out the facts. And Medei said to me, "Aaron, we don't have time for your facts." Okay, that's what he said to me. Now he now he cut that out of the final interview, but that's just who he is. I think is someone who, on the issues that require actual integrity and are going to get you called names, he he caves and he, and he punches left against those who don't bend. That's that's my opinion of him.
6: Okay, but but I guess I guess my question though, because this is. Kind of where the you know the Russell brand thing comes in, do you think though that it's it's problematic that you're having a framework of the issues that count as basically because I know you're a foreign policy guy, but do you think it's like problematic that you're basically defining those as the issues that count because foreign policy matters in terms of someone's view, but I also care about how they view, for example
1: trans kids in Florida and social issues like that.
6: that, that to me is just as
1: important. I'm not saying those issues don't count. I'm, I'm talking about issues, as I define, where there is a political and professional cost for having integrity. Uh, if you stand up for trans rights, that that's great, uh, but you're not going to pay a price for that. Uh, if you stand up against the Ukraine proxy war, you will pay a professional price. And on those issues, the approved left pundits, like the ones I'm talking about, always cave and they always punch left. That's what I'm saying. Now I, I'm not downplaying all the good stances they take. And in the case of Medi, it's a good thing that there's someone on corporate TV willing to acknowledge Palestinian rights. And he does do that. And that's great. I'm glad he does that. Yeah. Um, but he can do that now because the democratic party has shifted on that, you know, in the last several years um, due to, you know, years of Palestinian activism and people like Bernie Sanders, you know, making it okay. Uh, and that's great. It's good. I'm just saying it doesn't require much courage. And on the issues that require courage, people like that suck. And, yeah. And I, yeah.
6: Okay, that makes sense because I because I because the defense I just hear, of, for example, Russell Brand as well. He he talked because I, I I didn't like when he was on on Friday and he was like, well, both Fox News and and CNN are both corrupt. It's like, yeah, buddy, but your all, your all, your entire channel is why Fauci and Biden suck. So you don't cover that. You don't actually believe that. You're just saying that so you sound neutral but his appeal is that he does talk about the proxy war um his, his and um his issues with the pharmaceutical industry but he doesn't talk about social issues and i just think sometimes people place such an if emphasis like someone can have shitty takes on social issues and economic issues but if they say one or two things about big pharma and and uh you know ukraine proxy war that people give them a pass and and vice versa isn't true so i, I guess that was kind of my uh question about the Mehdi Hassan Owen Jones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a given that you should have, um, you know, uh, that, 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 that you should favor, you know, a, a social justice view on anything. So that's a, that's the baseline for me. So I don't need to give someone credit for having a good point of view on cultural issues and social justice issues. I just, what I'm concerned with is when people then turn around and have reactionary views and neocon views on issues that Require political courage and where there's a cost to actually being brave. And, um, you know, again, when Jeremy Corbyn was being smeared as an anti Semite, uh, people like Owen Jones and Mehdi were playing into that. Um, you know, CR yeah, they were.
6: were. They were. That was, and, yeah. And, and,
1: and so it's like that's that to me is the measure of someone's integrity, not what they're like on the issues where uh, most people who are decent people you know, agree and there's no controversy, but on the issues where it it, it requires some backbone to stand up.
6: Okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate
1: it. I'm always happy to to, uh, disparage my, my favorite uh, liberal pundits. (laughs) Okay. Sterling. Which
0: doesn't mean though, which also doesn't mean
1: that. And I'm always happy to
7: hear it. Um, I can't agree more with all of that. I mean, this has been the thing. We just can't find somebody that seems to just be able to, you know, really just be courageous. Hey, and, Sterling.
1: One hey. second. Uh, Katie, Katie was saying something. So. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, I'm
0: sorry, hon. No, it's okay. I just wanted to say that, uh, and not that you were saying this, Aaron, but I think it's important to clarify because I think sometimes people get frustrated and I get the the importance of looking at someone's integrity, et cetera, but that doesn't mean, uh, and I've made this point often with Democracy Now!, like we, I think, point out how problematic their coverage is. They still have really good... Um, headlines that they go over they still have really good stories that they go over um and so many hassan will have important things on his show um yeah but i i that's all i want to add not to cover my ass yeah i don't want people i don't think our the left media sphere is like big enough for us to be able to afford to totally cancel outlets same thing with like the intercept all right yeah that's my, my i pitch. totally
7: agree no i totally agree with all of that I'm sorry. I keep not hearing you.
0: Oh, no, no. Keep going.
7: Um, But it's so disappointing. I mean, when you've been following media as insane as it is and the tongue bath this morning for Biden by Chuck Todd was so nauseating. it was like not only can I watch not watch this on Sunday, I'm having a hard time watching it now Um, that we just it's just so disappointing when you watch for years like I did and listen to years for NPR. And then you watch them totally change. And it just seems slowly but surely this happenings. And so, yeah, like Aaron always says, democracy now is like the go-to. I mean, they really would try to stand up for things. And you were like, oh, I'm so glad I found them because I know these liberals are completely full of shit. And then they start moving a little bit to be liberal. So you're kind of like not as interested in watching it anymore. I mean, it really, when you don't stand by any kind of integrity on a pretty big level um, you're going to lose people and the people you're keeping, you know, I don't know. It just seems kind of, kind of ridiculous, but I did want to say also to Aaron that I totally agree with that guy that called in yesterday that said he um, really loves how you and your dad dress the same for interviews.
0: (laughs) The the called.
7: It was so funny yesterday. um, Somebody called in, is Aaron still
1: there? Yes, I am. Well, you know what? Listen, one of the reasons why we might dress a lot. It's although, so cute, although, no, I never well, even noticed it. I don't actually accept the premises because <laughs> I buy him a lot of his clothes. Uh, <laughs> when I see clothes that I, I think he'll like, them, I, right. so I take do, them off the rack. <laughs> you, know.
0: you do accept the premise, you just don't accept the reason for it. Yeah.
5: I don't yeah, know, well, I just I mean, thought
1: it was sweet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. So that's that's maybe one of the reasons why, why that looks that way. But um, I think he started... He likes wearing shirts with no collar, and I think, I don't know, yeah. m- I yeah. think, I think he started that, or I can't remember if I, anyway, yeah, the so name, the
0: Nehru collar.
1: The name, yeah. yes, that's right, that's right, yeah. It's
7: yeah. just something I never expected to hear on the call-in, I was like, oh my god,
1: that's just yeah. so
7: funny, and I didn't even realize it until, kind of had to look back, and I was like, oh my god, that's probably true, they kind of call each other and say, you know what, or I guess it was you doing that, um, so also, as far as Ukraine, um, when I saw on the dive video about, they showed the, sh- showed the Ukrainian sh- soldier saying, uh, this is not worth it. It's just not worth it. And they basically were front line and they weren't getting the ammo they needed. And this morning there was reported that, you know, the lead guy, um, Valerie, now I can't remember his last name, um, the army commander said, we've got to back up out of Bakhmut and... Um, Zelensky said, no, he's not ready. So apparently there's like a big, big problem there. And it just sucks. And as far as the American army has heard um, McGregor saying that our army isn't ready for anything like going to um, fight a war against Russia, which I thought was very interesting because we don't hear that at all. (laughs) And I don't know if that means that we could be too spread too thin because we might be going to Taiwan. Um, But I I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. And I think what's so thoroughly disgusting is a proxy war. Like you said, I mean, that we can sit here and watch these kids on the front line and say that we needed this so badly or what the first caller was saying, how it was important to us and so vitally important. And I thought, if it's vitally important to us, why did we leave them there? Why are we leaving them there uncompletely completely unarmed? I mean, if we actually really thought we could win this war or was it truly just to use them to weaken them? And if that is the case, which I do believe it is. That is so thoroughly disgusting about this country. And people, you know, to be a patriot doesn't, you know, you don't have to go along with every horrible thing you do. That tells me you're not a patriot. And I'm so disgusted. And these, you know, these are kids at this front line. And they may be Nazis, they may be whatever, but they're human beings. And in a year from now, they may not be a Nazi. Who knows? But, I mean, it's just, it's so not cool what we're doing. And by this weekend, I was just so completely done. And I think we are so dangerous and so ridiculous right now. And I'm just so glad for you guys and the integrity. And, um, Thank yeah, you, you for letting me vent. Thank yeah. you.
1: Okay. And we have here a caller, our friend from Ukraine. Hello, Serge. Hi there.
0: Hi. How are you? Oh
8: Great. Yeah, so um, I know that I'm sort of infamous for uh, derailing each topic and going on senseless rants. So I think that's the perfect opportunity to do this once again. And uh, maybe this will also entertain you. So, you know, uh, I think many have noticed that, you know, there's been some sort of satanic subversion of our um, culture and mainstream media, you know, with the Grammys showing blatant satanistic uh, shows which are sponsored by Pfizer and, you know, with uh, all this blatant symbolism which is um, being pushed onto us. And I think that Maybe you'll find it interesting that if you Google or better yet use Brave Search to uh, find some information about the current United Nations programs, which are aimed at uh, financially supporting Ukrainians, which are involuntary refugees and people that are affected uh, due to war this whole war situation you will find information about many many united nations programs which support ukrainians and it's really great i you know it's wonderful that people are willing to support ukrainians which are affected by war but if you read uh, more about these programs you will find out that the actual financial support consists of uh, basically three payments per person and these payments are about not about are exactly 2220 hryvnias per person and each person is allowed to receive this payment three times so each month you will receive one payment on 2220 hryvnias and uh, which totals in six thousand six hundred sixty grievance and there's even a specific direction that you can only take part in one of these many programs and each of these programs have the same conditions and the same amount of financial support so in the end you will receive uh, 6060 grievance and I find it really odd that uh, they've chosen to provide support in grievance and not in dollar amounts, because 2000, this amount is about $60 and really it's nothing to to sing songs about. Like it's a very small amount of money and you can barely go by this amount in one month and i just think it would be smarter for them to provide this support in a set amount in dollars which will then be you know transferred into the current exchange rate but no all these programs are very specific about the amount so yeah, uh, maybe you look this up and you'll find this interesting. What I find even more interesting is that if you bring this topic in any Ukrainian Telegram channel, you are immediately deleted and blocked because you're a Russian propagandist and etc. cetera. And uh, yeah, I've only found out about this because my mother actually has participated in one of these programs without letting me know and uh, she has received her first payment of 200, 2020 about uh, a few weeks ago. It's a Western Union payment. You don't have to provide any documentation apart from your ID. Uh, I don't know, I just find it hilarious, sort of. <laughs> the whole mockery of this war and what we're being put through and all of the symbolism that's being thrown at us. But yeah, and as for NATO and Russia fighting, I'm seriously I seriously doubt that this will ever happen. The only reason for this war is for NATO uh, sort of rearm itself by throwing all of their old weaponry at us and uh you know, sort of resupplying themselves with new weapons at our expense while thousands of people die every day. And well, from my last call, uh, as I told you, I think that it's gonna end pretty soon, but the next war is gonna be something seriously, much, <laughs> much more serious. Sorry for my horrible English. Anyway, uh, thank you for this opportunity and maybe I'll be calling again sometimes. Sometime. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Sir. It's just always A great heart. to hear from you.
0: Yeah. And you speak well.
4: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Bye, guys.
0: Bye. Nestor. Okay.
1: Nestor.
9: Hey, guys. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Well, wow.
9: That's uh heartbreaking Uh uh, well, we just heard, oh, man. It's uh, you know, almost making me choke up. Um, uh, man, and I I wanted to say, like, you know, a lot of these people in Congress, they're they're pretty old. A lot of them grew up during the you know the, the height of the Cold War, uh, back when you had you know so much propaganda, so much TV shows portraying uh, the Russians as evil. Uh, you know, you had. You had those famous movies like Red Dawn. Uh yeah. you had Yeah, you had yeah, you had um like the tabletop games. Uh some some tabletop games were so blatant about like what the US imagined itself doing with NATO, uh, where there's this one tabletop game called Battletech where the lore is that they they uh somehow managed to assassinate um what what is the the president that was in power doing when uh, Castro when he was like really uh, friends with Castro? Um, I, I forget his name. Uh, but the U.S. president. I'm sorry. The U.S. president. No, the Soviet Union president. Oh. oh. Um. Oh my God. Uh. I'm. I'm. I'm not. thinking Boris, but no, that was that was the guy that came after. Kushev?
0: Yeah. Kushev Yeah.
9: Yes, he was like very close to Castro, right? Yeah, they were. Yeah. 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 So uh, so in that and so in that in that lore in that propaganda, they managed to assassinate him. And somehow that made the Soviet Union uh, get into a civil war and they take advantage of it. They break they balkanized uh, Russia, the Soviet Union. Uh, and then in thirty years they surround and and uh, and attack China.
0: Uh, oh, no, they didn't assassinate Khrushchev. So it's
9: someone else. Sorry, keep going though. No, yeah, yeah, of course they. You know, but in in this in this fantasy in the part part. Of oh, the, got it. In
0: the game, got it. Okay, yes, got
9: it. Yeah, yeah. Part of a lot of the the games that were going on while these people were growing up, you know, uh, b- before video games, were, you know that's just a whole different. Right. There's a whole topic within itself where you know this, this is the propaganda's real heavy there too um, so so they so you know and then they surround China and attack China and then finally by this time in 2000 they managed to uh, uh, unite the world under one bro- uh, world government uh, and, uh, this is like this, this is what' what's so so heartbreaking that you know uh, I go- Power. A lot of them are are so ingrained in that kind of uh,
10: you have about
9: you know one day the United States becoming the world government that governs
11: uh, however whatever
9: they want to shape it into and and we're and when people and real people are paying the price of these people playing games with, with everyone's life, you know, and now, now they're so desperate. They're, they're so frustrated that, you know, when the Soviet union fell, it wasn't what they wanted. Uh, it wasn't what they, they hoped for, uh, because, you know, now Russia is still standing strong. It's not balkanized. The second, uh, biggest party in Russia is the communist party. So, so, you know, they, they, they are so frustrated that they're, their, their fantasies uh, their childhood fantasies are not going the way that it's going and so now you're just seeing them be like a belligerent a spoiled brat trying to throw the board around and 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 there's real human beings on top of that board and you know I don't know if if you know just trying to talk to people that are these uh, are this uh, uh, this much of a lunatics and maniacs I don't know if you can talk to people like that, you know, it's, it's, it's really getting to a point that we're, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's our life is at stake, right. you know, and, and it's scary. It's yeah.
1: That's her. Thank you for the call. Thank you for this. Anthony, go ahead.
12: Hi, right, Good morning. I, uh, I like what Brady said about um, C-SPAN. I I was hoping that maybe you guys should add that to the rotation. They actually do it daily, though, not just Sunday. But, you know, their Washington Journal is funny. They had a Bloomberg reporter today who she was reporting on Congress and she Matt Taibbi is going to be testifying. Right. And. Uh, she said his name is Matt Talebi with an L in there so and then uh, a caller asked her on C-Span about the Nord Stream pipeline this morning Bloomberg reporter and she seemingly the attack went over her head didn't say anything about it and said oh no we shouldn't get gas from from our adversaries so i wish you guys would do C-Span once in a while those guys are uh terrible <laughs> they're they're the worst yeah but um, that's that's not my name, main point. I, I liked your tweet over the weekend, Aaron, about um the sanctions in Syria and that resolution about the earthquake that all the squad and everyone voted for. My gosh, they're just becoming little war pigs. This horrible, the whole crew. But it is what it is. But um, my main main question was, what do you guys think about Marianne's candidacy?
0: Sounds like you got to watch our show on uh, on YouTube, our Monday morning show. Do you watch it?
12: Most days I do, but uh, today, no, I just was only able to hit call.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think what Aaron, do you want to, I've spoken a lot about it. Aaron, do you want sh- to go first or I can go first, but I'll, I'll say what we both have said, which is that we don't agree on lots of her foreign policy, um, but we agree on lots of her domestic stuff. And also uh, think that just entering, having someone enter a primary is important. And regardless of what you think of her, the lack of coverage of her is obscene. I mean, it's just newsworthy, whether or not you like the person.
1: Yeah, uh, I like Marianne personally a lot. I uh, like I like her self help stuff, and I like all the things she does on domestic issues. I just um, on foreign policy. I think she sides with neocons and I just can't support that because I I care too much about that issue. But uh, personally, I think she's great. And I think it's good to have anybody in the race. And I I think on the issues that she's good on, she'll be a very welcome addition. I just wish she was better on the foreign policy stuff. Okay. uh, Al. Hello.
13: Hello. Hi. 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 Um, I, it's funny that I'm following the last caller. I also, I tuned in to call in without having listened to That's the okay. morning. That's a- <laughs> so, to sorry about that. But I was wondering what you thought, not so much about Marion Williamson, but about just whether you see a difference in the press in their approach to Biden, like ever, sort of subtle but it seems like they might be turning on him a bit and whether whether you think it's well whether you think that's true and and if so whether you think it's going to matter in any real sense
0: think what's true that they're changing their coverage of him yeah
13: yeah that it seems to have a negative a more negative Uh
0: I think that's a good question.
13: I mean, they definitely
0: like asking about his age. Um, I think, sadly, like, when they're most adversarial, it's when he when they want him to be more belligerent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, though, you know, just the fact that they don't have, like, one of the morning news shows covered the fact that someone else had entered the race on the Democrat side. just kind of shows how institutionally biased towards him they are.
11: Mm-hmm.
13: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um. I just, it seems like something's brewing within the Democratic Party that the, they might push them out, or I don't know. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know, know what like, they would do if they did push them yeah, out. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. I don't think they have anyone else to push in.
13: <laughs> right. Who would right. be
0: acceptable to the powers that be? Yeah.
13: Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's all terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, did you have anything about that? Yeah, I,
1: I think they're in a tough position with Biden because, you know, he is, uh, you know, I know plenty of 80-year-olds who are totally with it cognitively, but he's obviously lost a step, and um, it's it's awkward for them, and they're, I think they've been floating the possibility of somebody else, but uh, the problem is, there, who else is there? Like, nobody likes Kamala.
7: hmm um,
1: And Pete's pretty annoying too. And they don't have somebody yet. So they might just be stuck with Biden.
13: Yeah, it's not just that Pete's annoying. He's an abject failure at his job. And it's, I I don't know if that's really, you know, getting through or not. I know like Jordan Sheridan's doing stuff about that. But, but um, is it, I, I don't see it from your Monday morning shows that the press is really laying into him. In fact, they're, they defend him, right?
1: Oh, uh, you mean, uh, Pete? Oh, yeah, for sure they do. And, and look, i and with Biden too. When he went to Ukraine. Oh my yeah. God. The, it was like, you know, that was the, like the praise was just effusive. It was, this is the most amazing brave thing. And uh-huh. um, wow. <laughs> he went into a war zone. Of course, I mean, we've covered this on useful It was all, it was all PR. Uh, And uh, so, you know, and that's the classic thing. Like when Trump bombed Syria, all of a sudden the cable news was falling over him, you know, to, to kiss the ring. So it's very fickle, their, uh, their adulation. Thank you for the call. Uh, Jonathan.
14: Hello.
0: Fickle, but it's always war friendly.
14: Depend on that, yeah. I was going to say, like, uh, you know, I can't help but feel like uh, this news about Havana syndrome bodes ill for my plan to get my uh, healthcare issues taken care of by uh, claiming that they were caused by my hearing a bunch of cricket stooping. Right. Um, I would definitely consider it a, a win if, uh, you know, anyway, if at very least, you know, the people of East Palestine and, and Flint could use that claim and get that coverage. But it looks like that's not going to happen now. But if I was going to hear bad news, I'd rather hear it from you guys. Oh, okay. And kind of what I wanted to ask was was a little bit of a follow-up from kind of uh, what the the last caller did. I mean, like, I do, it does seem like in the short term, uh, Buttigieg's uh, reputation was, was pretty badly damaged by his, his handling of this thing in ways that, you know, maybe it was a cumulative thing from, you know, the airline debacles on the holidays and and things like that. But uh, do we think this kind of incompetence is going to stick or is it going to get memory hold?
0: You mean like the portrayal? Oh, like is his incompetence going to stick to him as a liability? Right. I wouldn't be surprised if it got memory hold.
14: I mean, we remember... David right. Sirota remembers, but is that enough?
0: Right. Yeah. I don't know, and I, I think that that often does is what happens is that we see like the the powers that be. That's how they deal with it. They just won't focus on it that much. And to be, I mean, the the media could be a lot harder on Buttigieg than they have been. Right. Like, and we only saw any the only reason there's any criticism, and coverage of of this story is because the lever did you know, went after peace responsibly as they should have. And then, you know, status Quo has been doing some good coverage of East Palestine. But yeah, it's, it's barely in the news given how big of a story it is.
14: Yep. Anyway, that's, uh, that's all I had for, for this week, but uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoy your hiatus week and, uh, right. you know, use it to catch up on some, some rest and relaxation and recharge your batteries for the next interview.
0: We will. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Robert. Hi, Robert.
10: Hi. Um, I'm a fan of uh, both of you, and um, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous speaking now, but uh, um, if it's okay, could I? Okay. Um, uh, may I just make like one really quick point about um, my least favorite person, who's Timothy Snyder. The, the Yale historian who's like the, I think the le- considered the leading scholarly authority on, on Ukraine, Ukrainian history and the United States. And I think, you know, more broadly as well. Um, and,
0: and, a fa- um, expert, he, right? considered an expert on fascism.
10: So, um, well, and, uh, and, uh, Stalinism too, not just, uh, he, he he leads more with the um the the fascist talking point now he's uh one of the proponents of the russian fascism thesis right. which is uh rejected by i think more serious scholars like um this professor Laruel, i think her name is at george washington university who's criticized his book um uh the road to unfreedom and also uh, vladimir uh, ishenko who i think is really an excellent um uh ukrainian um, political sociologist who's, um, done a number of pieces for the new left review. Um, and the point I wanted to make is that, um, Snyder, um, poses as, uh, um, a, you know, out and out anti-imperialist. I mean, if you actually listen to him closely, it's a little bit qualified in the terms of what he considers the real problem is to be European imperialism. And he's, you know, he's actively a proponent of American imperialism, in fact. Um, but, um, one thing that really contradicts the, the claim that he makes to be representing anti-imperialism is one of his graduate students was a, just a research assistant for um, uh, Neil Ferguson at the Hoover oh. Institute um, on uh, Ferguson's author, Singer biography. Um, so, I mean, it just, it, it goes to show how hollow this uh, sort of rhetorical posturing is. Um, If it's okay, I also wanted to uh, get Aaron's uh, feedback, particularly on a a question that's been on my mind recently, which is um, what percentage of uh, CIA operations uh, would he would he reckon or um, uh, think have been uh, exposed and become public knowledge since the agency's inception
1: in the late 40s? Do you you want me to guess that problem? So you want me to guess how many things we don't know about, basically?
10: Well not, it's not really a guess, but like how you would how you would, <laughs> how, you would be, how you would begin even to to do a rational analysis of like what what percentage of the iceberg is visible?
1: Uh, we don't know what we don't know. That's just, that's so I, I can't add to that. But I think we don't know a lot. Um, I would love to know about what we do know about. For example, I'd love to know more about the dirty war on Syria. Uh, this is this is one of the most, if not the most expensive covert programs in U.S. history. It's very relevant today because, you know, Syria is is dealing with so many issues as a result of the dirty war and now the earthquake. And we don't know that much about the CIA program. I mean, we know some details, but I'd love to, you know, I interviewed um, a former CIA analyst named David McCloskey a few years ago on my show Pushback. And it was really interesting. He he wrote a novel called Damascus Station, which is like a thriller. It's a spy novel. So he, he left. So, so he left the CIA and became a novelist. And he, he's talented. It's a it's a he's talented at that genre. And um, but I asked him. I said to him, I was, I was like, you know, you all knew uh, that the insurgency that you were fueling and arming was dominated by Al Qaeda. And I said, like, was there anybody who said like maybe we shouldn't be army and insurgency that we know is dominated by Al Qaeda. He said, no, it didn't, didn't come up, you know? (laughs) And um, they just weren't concerned about that. They don't care. And that's just, it's, it was such a window to me and just how the whole system works. It's just when there's a policy decision like that, you don't think about the consequences. You don't think about the morality of even siding with the group that attacked the U S in nine 11 that commits so much evil. just, you know, it wasn't. So I'd love to know more about what exactly they knew about, Al-Qaeda's role and how it was discussed internally and I it's probably not going to happen until after I'm I've left this earth because it takes so long to get records released but for one day when the archives are released it will be fascinating
15: well if
10: they ever are released I mean I think a lot of documentation gets destroyed in fact Um, but also I was this reminds me of your comments about the novel um, the Damascus station it's called you said yeah I I was listening to um, a rant origins of totalitarianism there's actually a good audible version of it um, yesterday and she talks about how um, legends where you where you are um, explicitly you know um in the realm of fiction um it actually enabled people to fully tell the truth uh because there was no you know um uh it wasn't a legal kind of like a legal confession so you can actually admit your own culpability it's fiction um or you, you get a truer picture of dynamics oftentimes and you know the purely imaginative rather than nonfiction, where people are on the record and um you know uh, man mostly managing narratives rather than trying to explain the human condition Oh, thank you guys i, I really uh i really um uh Aaron's reporting on RussiaGate kept me sane for for a few years. So hey,
1: thank um, you. I uh, yeah. Happy to be here, um, no, Thank just, you, Robert. Take care. Take care.
10: Bye.
2: Take Thanks, care. Robert.
1: Okay, comrade. Hello? Hello.
2: Hello, comrade. Hi. Hi. My name is Melody. <laughs> um. Hi, <read> Melody. Yeah. <laughs> um. I just finished War with Russia, um, and I was wondering if there's any updates on Aaron's book. And by that you, mean, by that you
1: mean, like, you weren't fighting a war with Russia, you were reading Stephen F. Cohen's book, War with Russia.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. Important clarification. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was wondering if there's any updates on Aaron's book.
1: The update is, is, as soon as we end this call-in, I'm going to go back to work on it, and uh, I will get it out when I can. I, I hope that we can publish it in the fall. Um, that is my hope. I don't know if that's possible, but that's what I'm going for, and uh, fingers crossed.
2: Great. Um, I was wondering also, um, what do you think, with Marianne's announcement, um what do you think is the most important lesson to take away from Bernie's campaign for us as voters? Because I don't know, her announcement just, it feels like a spoiler for progressives and another sheepdog. Um, and I agree with her on a lot of things, but her foreign policy really concerns me because it just feels like social issues don't matter if we're all dead. Um and, yeah, what What should we be concerned about as voters?
1: I can't answer that question um, because people will take different lessons from the whole Bernie experience. Um, you know, I'm someone who feels very let down by Bernie and disappointed in him for many reasons. But at the same time, I, I credit him for a lot of positive things. Like he he popularized the notion of Medicare for all. Uh, And the notion that a a candidate can speak about working people. And um, so I don't want to totally dismiss everything he did, even if I, you know, he he just came out and said he supports Biden on Ukraine, doesn't even pay attention to it. I just find that so disappointing in a progressive candidate. But um, I don't want to take away the positives that came out of his campaign. Um, So I don't know what the lessons are. Um, But he
0: does still do good stuff. I mean, I agree I'm disappointed in the the way he transition out of the the rate the primary in 2020 um also disappointed in his ukraine position he does do good stuff he's going after harold schultz he probably got um you know uh pfizer or moderna i can't remember which one to not jack their prices on something yeah that's what i would add
1: too Same. but some people but I some people who want you know Uh, more systemic change and believed in Bernie's notion of a revolution. Um, For them, it's not going to be satisfying just to have some incremental gains on some issues. They, they believed in the notion of a revolution and he wasn't down with that. And so people will draw their own lessons. It's a very individual thing. Um, But uh, It's not for me to say.
0: To draw is that we can't really depend on, I mean, there there are leaders do make a difference. Historically, Movements require leaders, but that we have to create movements on the ground, which is a lot easier said than done. But we have to think creatively about how to create things that outlast individuals, like because they could die or they could, like, disappoint us. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Ramon. And then Jeff, and then we'll wrap. Or Ramona, you're you're they cut off the name here. Yeah, Ramona. Hey,
11: how's it going? That's all right. Um, I my comment question will dovetail nicely with the last uh, caller because I too was, although disappointed in how the Bernie Sanders uh, the uh, candidacy uh, in the primary see, primary went, I uh, down. However, I have to look at how it changed my mm-hmm. life view because for the first time in ever in my life, I voted uh, because I heard someone speaking to what I think were important issues. So for that, I will always be grateful to Bernie Sanders. However, I feel that perhaps there hasn't been an actual progressive candidate since Henry Wallace during Roosevelt's time. So we need to look at what we can do for movements, which is something that Bernie did actually do. coalesce certain number of people so my question then is who do you see has been offered to us on the left in the past 100 years that would actually have made a difference electorally thank you
1: i'm a fan of jesse jackson's uh, run for president in the 80s uh he had a good platform and uh was you know very early uh, in speaking out on so many issues uh, that people like Bernie Sanders came around to later on, like Palestine, for example. And um, so, I don't know. Um
0: was a Jackson supporter, and Jackson was a Bernie supporter.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also uh, think another important thing to take away from Bernie's campaign is that these issues, that, and you kind of alluded to this, Aaron, when you mentioned how he popularized Medicare for all, but... These issues that we're always told um, are fringe really aren't fringe. And we have to keep pushing for that. Yeah. And that stays no matter what happens with Bernie. So, okay, Jesse Jackson. Anyone else? Uh, Eugene V. Debs. I liked him. He ran from jail. He ran. I mean, he ran for president from jail. Pretty impressive feat. Yeah. Should we go to the next caller, Jeff? Final caller. Hey guys, how are you <laughs> doing Jeff. today? Could Good. You?
15: Thank you. Uh, as far as Marion running, um, more power to her. Should she run? If she wants to run, a hundred percent, absolutely. I don't like anybody. Saying, well, she's just a democratic sheepdog. If she wants to run, run. So, as as far as that goes, hypothetically, if she ever does get on the debate stage, if the DNC lets her, um, and let's say that she does push on back on Joe Biden and expose him, and let's say pushes him to the left, and then if and then. Biden starts um, on the campaign trail, starts moving his policies a little bit to the left. And then if he Biden becomes the Democratic nominee and then he's on the campaign trail against whoever that may be, Trump, DeSantos, um, he starts espousing more left, you know, left um, policies. As far as that goes, let's say Biden does win the election and is renominated everything he said on the campaign trail is just going to be another lie so even if she does push him left he's never going left so i mean if let her run support her if you want to support her donate if you want to donate to her but if if anything that biden will say on the campaign trail you know is going to be a lie and will the democratic and In a total hypothetical, if she was ever the Democratic nominee and if she was ever to win the actual presidential election, the government, the establishment would never let her do anything. Like the entire establishment would unite to freeze um, or throw monkey wrenches in left and right any any, uh, leftist domestic policy. And even if she wanted to bring foreign policy a little bit to the left, which she's terrible at, on rather. So that's all I'd have to say about Marion. Thanks.
0: That is a really important point, which is that, you know, we can appreciate people for bringing things into the discourse that wouldn't otherwise be brought into the discourse. Uh, Pushing people to the left rhetorically does not mean pushing them to the left policy wise, especially when you're dealing with someone as, Slippery and dishonest as Biden. I think that's a really important point. I do also think that you can't have any of the policy shifts. I mean, you can argue that he's more dangerous than others, because at least with others, they won't pretend to do that. But at the same time, you, you do need the things brought into the into the discourse. Um, so I agree with you. But I also think that there's some value in in discursive.
15: I didn't um, say there wasn't value. I didn't say that. I said supporter if she's I know um, 100%.
0: Support her. I'm saying what I'm saying about with you. What I'm kind of pushing back with, but not really. I know you aren't oh. saying you don't. Is the idea that discursive shifts are irrelevant because they don't guarantee policy shifts, and that's true. They don't. Mm. But I still think there's some power in that in them because they start making things more mainstream.
15: Right. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. All well, right. Take your
0: care. Point, all right. And this was, uh, this was uh, the, a great uh, call-in. We will see you next week.
1: And let me say to our uh, official pro-proxy war correspondent, Greg, who I noticed in the chat, Slava, Slava Raytheon. Um, and uh, if only you were as interested in speaking to us as you are in, in insulting us in the chat, uh, we could have a lively conversation. But in the meantime, Slava Raytheon. To Greg and all other pro-proxy warriors. That's what I wanted to say. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.